When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. This edition of How to Be a CEO is brought to you by the AXA Startup Angel Competition. I'm Sharma Dean-Reed, founder and CEO of The Stack World, and I'm here to help you turn your business dream into reality. There are six chances to win the competition, including two top prizes of £25,000, mentoring from myself and leading UK founders, plus business insurance for a year, thanks to AXA. Go to standard.co.uk forward slash AXA Startup Angel for details on how to enter and complete your entry by the 2nd of June, 2024. Good luck. ES Audio. You've got to be ahead of the game, right? One step ahead of the opposition on the cutting, no bleeding edge of technology. Innovate or die, yeah? Well, true. But what happens when you're too far ahead of your time? We were probably five years too early, if I'm honest. People thought we were mad. If you know, Why would you put appointments online? Why would you put health information online? Nobody wants that. That just sounds like a security risk. Tom Witcher is the founder and CEO of Doctor Doctor, tech used by patients and clinicians to book and cancel appointments. You know those texts you get reminding you you're supposed to see your doc tomorrow? It's a pretty good chance it came from them. It uses AI and it was founded in 2012, so long before the world ever heard of ChatGPT and worried about the implications of artificial intelligence in the workforce. Chess is like a really good example here where a human and a computer together are the ultimate chess player. It's not the computer on its own, it's definitely not the human on its own anymore, but a human and a computer together are super powerful. And, and that's the model I try and apply to kind of how do we leverage these things at work. I'm David Marsden from The Evening Standard. We're going to be talking about AI and healthcare and its uses and limitations for entrepreneurs. But the good thing about being early to market is, if you survive long enough, there are rewards to be reaped. Dr. Doctor's belated 10th birthday present this year was £10 million of funding. So that's got to be nice. The funny thing about when you raise funding is uh, you never feel you can celebrate because it's when the real work starts. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You spend six months prepping it all and then actually by the time the money's in the account, you know, you're, you're on to the hard of it, which is going and delivering. But yeah, like it was a great sign to raise that amount of money in what is a really hard market. I think it says a lot about the belief people have in health at the moment and, and the traction that we had at that point. Yeah, I think it shows the interest in that market. Was that there though when you first started, when you founded this company or have you had to kind of point out, do you know what, maybe we should all be doing this sort of thing? Not at all. I mean, we're, we're a bit different to many startups in that we're 10 years old and uh, at the time people thought we were mad. If they're, you know, why would you put appointments online? Why would you put health information online? Nobody wants that. That just sounds like a security risk. So we had to do a lot of hard yards persuading hospitals and regulators and, and patients to some extent that actually this is a good idea. We were probably five years too early, if I'm honest, but uh, that sort of tenacity carried us through and um, obviously it's, it's paid off. Uh, tell me about those first five years then, Tom. Were they fun? It was literally, I, I, was, working as a, um, I was working in hospitals uh, and I, I quit my job. 
um, on a Friday. Started the business on a Monday with my two colleagues, Rinesh and Perrin. And we, I literally sold my car. I had a, had a Golf GTI that I loved and I sold it to fund, um, like to pay myself for the first year, basically, uh, which <laughs> was painful. Um, but it was great fun. You know, we weren't earning any money, um, but we were working on a problem that we really cared about. And I don't think there's anything more rewarding than working with a small group of people who you really respect and love on a problem which you think has value. Whilst the business didn't get the traction in the first five years that like it has now, we were making a market and the relationships that I built with hospitals and clinicians and even some patients then, you know, I, I still consider those people friends today. And I think that's the ultimate marker of, you know, time well spent. Tell me about the problem then. What did you, when did you realise it existed? And when did you realise, I can fix this? Hmm. Well... So, so the problem we solve is helping patients get hospital appointments, booking, changing, and then making sure that the appointment is appropriate and valuable, which if you've spent more than about 30 seconds in a hospital, you realise is pretty big and pretty important. It, it happened for me because I was, as I said, I was working in a hospital and I was doing sort of improvement projects. So how do we improve the efficiency of the theatres? How do we make the outpatients department a bit better? And I was sat in an outpatient clinic in Coventry Hospital, kind of doing what we call a study, so watching, watching the patients turn up for their appointments. And I watched five patients in a row turn up to the front desk, elderly, and they put their letters down and they were told that that clinic had been cancelled. And all these patients had travelled in, they'd got the bus or they'd got a lift or they'd taken a day off work or whatever it was. And the communication hadn't got through to them in time. So it was a wasted day for them. They were then told the next available appointment, you know, it was going to be another six weeks. So it wasn't just a wasted day, but they weren't getting the care they needed. And it was, you know, 2012, the iPhone had come out a few years before, right? Like the iPhone was like five years old. It was starting to get some real traction. Um, I'd just got one. And I was like, this thing is going to transform the way that we do health. So that was, it was that simple hypothesis, really, you know, using use mobile phones to allow people to manage their NHS appointments. Turns out it's a pretty tricky problem, actually. <laughs> um, and if we'd have realised how hard it was, we probably wouldn't even have started. Um, what made it hard? What's the trickiest bit? What, what did you go, I do not know how to fix that? Where, where did that come? Well, I mean, the NHS is... is as we know, it's a brilliant service, but it's huge. At times it can be bureaucratic. It is full of brilliant people that want to do great stuff. But as I said, like early on, persuading IT departments that we should give patients you know, access through the internet to their appointment details, that was just a no. That was a no. You know, we cannot do that. And that's changed. That culture has changed massively now. You know, people really understand that it's important to share patient data. There was the behavioral change, you know, Clinicians are concerned that they were going to get overloaded with appointments. Writing the software, getting the software to interoperate with the hospital systems. It was like there wasn't one. There was, you know, 20 different things that we had to, we had to get through. But we just picked them off one by one, you know. And actually, the first thing we did, luckily, was we went and sat and talked to patients about what they really wanted. And, and this kind of, you know, we were going to build an app, an iPhone app to book appointments. And actually what patients told us was, I just want to know where I'm going and why. So the very first thing we built was a text message that said, hey, David, you've got an outpatient appointment tomorrow in orthopaedics, text back change or cancel if you can't make it. That was the very first thing we built. 
and that actually like solved for most people like 80% of their problem. We now send 11 million text messages a month to, you know, a couple of million patients. It, um, yeah, like that, that has stayed really true to the core of our product, but, um, shows the value of going and talking to people early on, I think. Yeah, and and these days, a lot of our listeners will have, they won't know it, but they will have received a text message from you guys, effectively. How quickly, though, did you get to that point? You know, you said you were maybe five years ahead of your time. Yeah. How, how, how soon was it before you had, like, even 100,000 people rather than 2 million? I mean, if, if all startups on a hockey stick have, and we certainly have one, because it was so flat for the first bet. We won a contract with Nottingham University Hospitals three years in um, to do all of their outpatient activity. And that was, that was a big moment, you know, suddenly we were doing, we've been doing lots of little bits in clinics all over the place. And that was our first like, all right, we're doing a whole hospital, QMC in Nottingham. They do 1.3 million outpatient activities a year. And we took on all of that and, and digitized it. That was cool. And, the patient benefits and the savings they made were really helpful. And then in 2016, we won the contract with guys in St. Thomas uh, to do their outpatients. And that was, that was a real turning point. We had a few, you know, we had sort of 10 or so customers at that point, but you know, GSTT is the, the biggest and best known teaching hospital in the country, arguably, I'm sure. UCLH would say otherwise, and you know, probably um, some of our friends further north, but that, that size of institution, realising the value that we could deliver, made a huge difference. And that, from that point onwards, you know, the, the numbers were t- ticking up by the millions month on month, really. But in that point, when everything was flatlining, mm. did you ever think, I'm going to have to go get a job? Did you ever think, this isn't going to work, I'm going I'm to get a job and buy my car back? <laughs> I'm watching it uh, on Auto Trader. I am... Um, yeah, definitely. The thing about startup life is the highs are high, but the lows are super low. There were a number of occasions where we thought the business was going to run out of money. I think we've had four times in the business's history where we pretty much had about threepence in the bank account and it was waiting for that next invoice to be paid. Certainly times where it just felt like the problem was so hard. You know, and I remember talking to a, a client of mine when we were trying to get a contract signed and it had been months and months and months and we'd been doing all this work you know, essentially for free because we didn't have a contract. And I just said, we're going to have to walk away. So she she went and pulled, you know, every string she could and got that contract signed. And actually that's been a great, really great relationship ever since. But yeah, numerous times I think we thought we might have to, might have to go and get a job. I think the thing that got us through, David, is, is a belief in the mission. I wouldn't recommend anyone starts a health tech business unless you really, really, really care because it is such a hard problem. But the reward is so great because you, you, you're genuinely helping people. Um, and we, we measure the impact of our business. We have a set of impact metrics. And um, in our business, I can truly put my hand on my heart and say that, that the impact we have on patients is directly correlated with the financial success of the organization. And that's a brilliant thing. All right, better go deal with that. Okay, so while that's happening, here are some ads. And hit your follow button so you never miss an episode of How to Be a CEO. It's a bit like getting a reminder every time a new episode drops. Back after these. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I wonder if the, the challenge for you has changed in uh, in sense of people's perspectives and things. So when you're starting out there, you're, you're trying to persuade people that using AI and algorithms can make this work more efficiently. But in the last mm. year, the conversation has been about AI is taking everything over and it's a terrible thing and, and it's going to ruin all these things. Have you seen that change and, ha- and have you had to adapt to it? Yeah, I, I mean, I think that the AI revolution probably has been overstated in the effect that it will have on on most people's jobs. There's no doubt that, um, you know, if you're a software developer, AI can make you 10 times more efficient because it can help you predict the next bit of code you need to write. And I think the same is true if you're a doctor. So AI is not going to replace the job of of a doctor. The job of a doctor is to help someone come to terms with their diagnoses and make sure that they have a you know, they have a good outcome. The diagnoses bit, AI absolutely can help with, but it can't do the human parts of medicine. If you look at the size of the NHS waiting list, we've got, what, 7.4 million people waiting for care. If we can use AI to better triage, better stratify, help doctors make better decisions so they can do the human part of healthcare, I think it only means a better healthcare service and a more rewarding life as a clinician as well as kind of better outcomes as patients. So... It will change things. I think it will change things for the better because it will make everything more personal and more human. And that's what we've tried to do. You know, we've tried to build pragmatic AI into our technology such that if you're a patient, you get the right care more quickly. We're not trying to replace the doctors. We're trying to help you get to the right person so that you can have a human interaction. And how have you guys found the advancements in AI over the last 10 years? Have, has that made your life easier? No, I don't think it has, actually. I don't think it has. AI <laughs> is everywhere, right? Like if you try and, if you write a, an email these days, your email program tells you what the next few words are going to be. And it does make, I guess it does make your life 10% better. But as an entrepreneur, the problems you're solving are by default new and they're edge cases. And if you're solving edge case problems, you need people to think in different ways, out of the box ways. I think AI is brilliant. Like if you're writing a research paper or if you're, you know, if you want to learn about a new topic quickly, ask ChatGPT and it'll help you get up to speed. The next jump 
needs creative human minds, often lots of them working together. Yeah, I think what some people don't realize is that AI can only tell you stuff it already knows effectively. So if you come to it with something brand new, it still needs a human to make all these kind of different connections and then have that little bit of inspiration from somewhere, doesn't it? Exactly, exactly. I think chess is like a really good example here where um, a human and a computer together are the ultimate chess player. It's not the computer on its own. It's definitely not the human on its own anymore. But a human and a computer together are super powerful. And, and that's the model I try and apply to kind of how do we leverage these things at work. Like they can make us more efficient. They can help us, um, as you say, like the stuff that AI knows, it knows. And then as a human, you can make the next jump and also then make the kind of emotional, empathetic connection with the people that you're working with and the people that you're selling to or the people that you're looking after or whatever it might be. Now, thinking about challenges there, I would imagine, I don't know, maybe it was easy for you, but when the COVID pandemic hit, that must have been an interesting time for your company. Were were you ready for it? Did you go, yeah, we can do this? We were not ready for it. Um, We were lucky in that, you know, as a software business, lots of people work remotely anyway. So the, the, the shift to remote was not too tough for us. I think I had a very different pandemic to a lot of people. You know, we we felt we had real purpose. You know, we were building products, we were deploying technology into hospitals. We were, we were not on the front line and I will never claim that. You know, I know clinicians that were on the front line and they, they had a hard time. But we were, we were just behind, you know, sort of manning the kitchens, if you like. Um, and that was rewarding. You know, I was sat in, literally sat in the spare room and working more hours than I'd ever worked before, but feeling like we were at least doing something helpful. Um, we built a lot of products then, and I, and I think interestingly, kind of you reflect on it, the products that we built in the pandemic probably, we built a video teleconsultation platform and we built some like messaging tools. Like actually what we've discovered since is the real value is helping the NHS recover its backlog. That's where we've been really, really helpful. You know, it's the tools that, you know, the waiting list suddenly shot up, as we all know, the NHS productivity took a massive dive, hasn't yet recovered. Um, and where Doctor Doctor can be really valuable is it can help solve the productivity challenge and solve the waiting list challenge. So actually, like almost our frontline battle is now rather than during the pandemic. I think what's interesting is post pandemic, almost the NHS has. I think there are people that almost miss it in a way because things happened. Things happened quickly. Things weren't perfect, but decisions were made, and um, you could you could get things done. I think we've lost a bit of that since, and it would be brilliant to see that kind of rapid, um, sensible risk-taking because the reward is worth it kind of stuff come back into health. Um, I think it would be good for everybody. Had your software not been available, had it not been deployed in some places and ready to be deployed in others, how much harder would the NHS have had it during and after COVID? We've, we've had nearly 100 million NHS appointments in our system to date, right? So, you know, at that point, we, were, we probably were managing, we were certainly managing tens of millions of, of live appointments and we shifted them all remote and we could do that immediately because you, all you had to do was press a button and you could, you could send a message to, to millions of patients and say, this is now going to be a telephone call or this is now going to be a video or this isn't going to happen at all. So we certainly allowed um, hospitals to be a lot more agile during the pandemic. And then the point about after, I think, as I said, I think this is where we're making a real difference. You know, there is no 
way that the NHS can continue to work the way it has always worked um, and get through the 7.4 million people who are waiting. You know, outpatients is, hasn't changed really since the NHS was founded. It probably actually hasn't changed since Thomas Guy put a bench outside Guy's Hospital in you know 1600. And, and we have to think about different ways of working and, and what our technology allows hospitals to do is think about patients differently and see people based on need, not time, keep people at home, um, provide asynchronous 24-7 care rather than it being about you turn up into a grey building in the centre of London to be seen for 10 minutes by somebody and then you have to come all the way home. And I think that's um, it's got to be the future. What's the future for you, though? What's next for your company? Where are you looking at? How do you develop stuff even further? So we're, we're really focused on the UK. I think there's so much to do here that um, taking the business international at the moment would be the wrong focus. You know, our aim is to move the NHS to a hybrid model where everybody gets the right care in the right place when they need it. And we work with, we work with about 30% of NHS organisations now. You know, we, we want to be working with every single NHS organisation in the country, working with every patient in the country in order that they can get the right care. And that means not just working with hospitals, it means working with community trusts, with mental health, with GPs, because as a patient, you don't, you know, you don't think of those organisations as separate. You think about yourself as having a condition and wanting to get care. And so breaking down those arbitrary silos and um, helping people have a really consistent, like low stress, great outcome experience is, is what we're all about. And so that means lots of investment in product. We've got a team here in London who, who are building, you know, our next set of, we talked about AI, our next set of AI tools, our next set of comms tools. Um, so there's a lot to do, yeah, over the next few years. And Tom, I'm just, just wondering, have you ever had a text message through Dr. Doctor, like the first one you ever got, and you went, yeah. oh, it works? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I have. I have. And I, to be honest with you, I thought it was a problem with the system because I was like, hang on, why am I getting a, why am I getting a, a test? Oh, no, no, I do have an appointment here. Um, <laughs> what was actually cooler, to be honest, is my dad um, ended up as a patient at, at Guys and St. Thomas with, a, with an autoimmune disease. And he, um, he had had a very stressful experience up until that point and ended up with lots and lots of appointments. And he got them all through Dr. Doctor. And uh, that was that made me really proud, you know. It was being able to see the effect it had on him. It brought it brought it home for me, and that's that's why we do it. What car have you got now, Tom? <laughs> I now have a VW electric campervan thing called an ID Buzz, which I absolutely love. It's brilliant. I've got two kids and a dog. You can fit them all in the back. You can get, you can go camping in the New Forest. It's all about lifestyle. It's absolutely wonderful. I've only had it about three weeks and I'm completely obsessed by it. I think it's brilliant. That was Tom Witcher, CEO and founder of Dr. Doctor. How to be a CEO will be back in two weeks' time again. In the meantime, head over to standard.co.uk for all the latest business news, interviews and analysis. 